Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Stand with me this morning. I'd like to open with a little scripture from Psalms 113, starting at verse 1. Exclamation mark, hallelujah, give praise, servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be blessed both now and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is exalted above all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Father God, we thank You that You're here amongst us today. We feel Your presence. Holy Spirit, You are welcome to do here anything that You'd like. We are open to Your leading. Father God, accept our praise as an offering. You're worthy. You are great. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. If you are a guest, welcome. We're so thankful that you chose to worship with us this morning. My name is Chris Valdez, and I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, We have a small gift for you if you're a guest out in the foyer. There's a a sack with a small gift and information about us. We'd love for you to get one of those on your way out. Uh, Feel free, if you have any questions to see me or uh, Pastor Dell or anybody walking around with a name tag, they'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. This morning, before we get into the Word, I want to share a a praise report with you uh, more than anything. It's it's also a building update. Uh, As you know, we've been uh, building a new facility just out uh, to the west of this building. It's for our uh, daycare, our children's ministry, and our youth ministry. And the praise report is that our youth ministry and children's ministry and daycare are all flourishing. In the middle of everything that's going on, God has been faithful and He has held us in His right hand. There were times and days that things didn't look so certain, but God was with us. And just this last week, we had over uh, 70 kids in our Spark program on Wednesday night. Yes, praise the Lord. And there's, I don't know how many back there right now, but every week, uh, your kids are, are getting the Word of God planted in their life. They're seeing Him in the love of Christ that's displayed for through the, through the volunteers that we have and the workers who just love your kids to death uh, and want to show them and tell them about Christ. Uh, our daycare's uh, up over 70 kids now as well. We, we kind of went down during the COVID thing, but again, God was faithful and has, has held that up. And our youth ministry is flourishing, by the way. If you're uh, middle school or high school tonight uh, and every Sunday night, our youth ministry meets here in this room and eventually, not too far away, uh, just across the parking lot. Um, and for many of you, you know that God uh, told us when he, when he uh, gave us this vision for this building, uh, gave us a scripture out of Exodus where he had instructed Moses to build the, the tent of meeting. Uh, and they didn't really have a choice. They couldn't go to a bank and get a loan. But God just said, ask the people, and, and as they give, you build it. And so that was what he told us, and we knew we built it without uh, getting a loan. And we initially broke it up into three phases that you can see up there on the screen. And that was with the intent that we were just going to trust God and we'd build it as we went along. Well, God has been so faithful. And in the middle of all these things, uh, we have never had to stop. We've never gotten to the end of a phase. And so we're in the middle of phase three, and God has provided uh, through, through your generosity, through uh, speaking to you, and, and as it said in Exodus, just giving what God uh, put on your heart. Uh, so at this point, we've raised almost $7,000 and just have a little over $150,000 left to be able to totally complete it without ever stopping. Um, and we're about a month and a half, two months. Uh, we've got about that much funds to continue. Um, and we know that God's just going to continue to provide. So we just wanted to give you an update where that was. And then that phase four, uh, we broke those up from the very beginning because they're two separate things, but we cast the same vision all at the same time is that after that, then we'll uh, continue to save. And again, just in his timing, uh, that is a phase to update our sanctuary. It's been well over 20 years uh, since we've done anything with carpet or chairs or paint or anything like that. And so it's in need of some loving care uh, and just to to be good stewards of what God's given us. So that will be the final phase of that. But I just want to thank y'all and give y'all that update where we are and praise God for what he's continuing to do and the ministry that he's going to accomplish that we know there's so many purposes 
uh, beyond what we can even think or dream or imagine that he's going to use that facility to bless the community of Lampasas and beyond. So uh, thank, let's give him <laughs> praise and glory for what he's done. Well, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 6, and we'll get there in just a second. Uh, if you've been here with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been on a series entitled Behold, and the, the underlying message is to behold Jesus Christ. And this morning we're talking about, uh, going to talk about beholding and believing in him. And the first things that we looked at in those first two messages was that you can behold, and that word behold is from a word, uh, aidu, and it just means, uh, it can mean to know, to see, uh, to experience, to behold. Uh, and so different places that you would be in the, the New Testament, it may be translated as the English word know, or as the English word saw, or see, or behold. But if you look at that underlying word, that it's, it's aidu, it's the same word. And so what that word means is, is to know, to see, to experience. But experiencing and seeing and knowing Christ, uh, there's, there's a wide variety of, of where we could fall in that. And what we've seen in Scripture is that people beheld Christ, but did not behold the Son of God. They beheld either a teacher, or some even said a demon-possessed man, or uh, a good person, or a prophet. And some beheld Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But beholding Him wasn't enough. What beholding is, is an opportunity to see Christ for who He is. And so, if we come to that opportunity and believe in Him, then it's going to change our life. It's going to change who we are. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is what it means to behold Jesus Christ and actually believe Him to be who He says He was and who the Holy Spirit reveals Him to be. And in one sentence, Jesus sums up belief for us. In John chapter 6, verse 29, He says, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. The work of God is that we would believe in Jesus Christ. Everything that God the Father did, it says in the Word that before the foundation of the world was the Word, was Jesus Christ. So before creation even began, and then God created, and everything that passed before us to today, and now everything that God is at work doing today, and everything that He is going to do from today until He returns, all of that work, the only purpose is that we would believe in Jesus Christ whom He sent. That we might have a relationship with God the Father. That we would believe and be saved. That is the work of God. And when we put it that way, we see that belief is pretty important. And it's important that we believe Him for who He really is. This word believe, many of you probably already know, it's, not, it's a common word. Most of us know the definition. Parts of the, defi- the dictionary defi- definition would be to trust or entrust, to put confidence in. It's really not a hard word to understand or to define. I think all of us have a good understanding of what the word means. Where it becomes a little less clear is when we profess belief and say we believe something and to understand if we really believe it. And I want to ask ourselves, us all, including myself, to ask ourselves two questions this morning. The first is, how do we know if other people see that we believe what we say we believe? Would other people agree that we believe what we say we believe? And the second question is very similar. How do I know if I believe what I say I believe? And the answer to both of these questions is very simple, and it's the same. Our actions will follow what we believe. Genuine beliefs are made obvious by what people do. We always live up to or live down to what we believe. Nothing else is possible. To believe something is to act as if it's so. 
I want to give you a real simple example. Uh, my paternal grandfather, it's my, my father's father, if you don't know what that paternal means, um, and he's since passed. But when I was a kid, I remember being around him and all the family would gather together, and my grandfather would not drink anything that was cold. Didn't matter if it had just come out of the refrigerator or if you put ice in the glass, he wasn't going to touch it. And there was a reason. He believed if you drank a cold drink, you would get sick. And the point of my example this morning isn't to convince you whether that was true or not. Nobody else in the family believed that. We drank it all the time. I was talking to somebody else a few days ago about this, and the funny thing they said was, yeah, but I bet when someone got sick, he was like, oh, and I saw you drinking a drink with ice. You know, it's like, yeah, I do every day. <laughs> you know, that, that wasn't what it was. <laughs> I just got a cold. But in his mind, that, that was true, and he believed it. But how did we know he believed it? He acted as if it was so. He never drank a drink that was cold. If some, I mean, he'd feel like I distinctly remember him. You know, it, it may not even be cold, cold, but he'd grab a glass, and if it was, he'd set it down. And no, that one's <laughs> that's too cold. I'm not going to drink it. He would not drink a cold drink. Didn't matter if it was true or not. That's not the point. He believed it. And his belief guided his actions. If he, had a, if he had a professed that a cold drink will make you sick and espoused that belief over and over and over, but then day in and day out drank cold drinks, we would have just known he didn't believe it. He just was a weird guy who said, <laughs> who said that for some reason, but then didn't do it. It wouldn't make any sense. But that's the truth of belief. When we have a belief, a core belief, it affects what we do. And so we can ask ourselves this question. Do I believe what I say I believe? Well, do your actions follow your beliefs? If the answer is no, then no. You don't believe what you say because if you believed it, your actions would follow. I want to give you a leadership tip. This morning, and it applies whether you're trying to lead yourself or whether you're leading a team or employees or volunteers or anybody, any type of leadership. Remember this. People do what they believe. That is the nature of belief. If you have to invest a lot of time and a lot of energy and your and money and everything that you have to get people to do something, to get them to do what you're trying to convince them to do, it's because you're working against their actual belief. If you would sit down with them and tell them why you believe what you're trying to get them to do, what the reason behind it is, and convince them of that and change it in their core, you won't have to invest any more time and energy. They're going to just do it. My grandfather didn't need somebody encouraging him every day not to drink cold drinks. He believed it. And he did it. So if you're trying to get people to do something they don't believe, you're honestly wasting your time. Because a true belief will change who we are at our core. It will change our character. It will transform us. It's impossible to change character or behavior and leave beliefs intact. And if we think anything else is possible, we're deceiving ourselves. It's an illusion of the Western culture that we find ourselves in today, that you can believe something, but your actions don't have to go along with it. Unfortunately, one of the places that this comes from is a false doctrine in Christianity that Christianity can be merely cultural, that we can say we believe something, but it really doesn't have to change us. And as the church, we can't support or encourage that illusion. We can't work around it. We have to get rid of it. We have to test our beliefs. We have to ask ourselves these questions. Are my beliefs affecting the core of who I am? 
Is my belief in Jesus Christ really transforming me? Many of us can give all the right answers. We can answer those questions. We may even know all the right theology. But that doesn't mean that we believe it. It doesn't mean it's changed who we are, that it's affected the core of who we are. I remember being a young man, and I grew up my whole life in the church. One of those people I can say I was attending nine months before I was born. And I remember getting the Word put in me. And I knew all the right answers. But my life didn't line up with it. So many areas I could look at and I was like, that's true, but my life does not follow that. And the truth was at that moment, at that time, I didn't really believe it. I hadn't given Him everything. I wasn't following Jesus Christ. I knew the answer. I could have counseled people because I could have given them the truth. But my life wouldn't have been an example. I couldn't have said like Paul and the other apostles in the New Testament after Jesus went away and the Holy Spirit had come. They said, follow me like I follow Christ. I couldn't say that. Because I knew I wasn't following. I didn't believe it. It hadn't transformed me to those beliefs. And that's what real belief is. When, when we believe it, our actions will follow because we'll act like our belief is so. Have you ever taken one of those tests that you fill out, the little bubbles? Have you ever answered a question that you knew the right answer, but you didn't believe it? Maybe it's a class on, you know, uh, not politics, but uh, like philosophy. You know, and you know who said what, but you don't believe what they said. The teacher told you, and you know that's the right answer. So if I want to get 100 on this test, I've got to fill in this circle. And you could get 100 on that test and not believe anything that you answered. And that's part of our, our culture of the way that we even educate is that way. It's, it, it really doesn't matter if you believe it. You just need to get the information in your head. And that's transformed in, and transferred into the church. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Just get it in your head. Mentally assent to it. But we can't come to Christ and behold Him and do that and then say we believe in Him or follow Him. Because if we believe in Him, it's actually going to transfer to the core of who we are and to our behavior and everything we do and we'll follow Him and we'll do what He said because we believe Him. We're going to look at two passages this morning, or three passages, I'm sorry. The first one's in John chapter 14. We're going to look at these passages that talk about belief. The first one is Jesus talking to his disciples. As John 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know. And this word know is that word I do. Behold, Lord, we don't know. We don't see. We haven't beheld where you are going. How can we know? How can we see? How can we behold the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me. If you have known Me, you would have known My Father also. And from now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Jesus is clearly telling the disciples what we've read in Hebrews 1.3 the last two weeks, that He is the radiance of the glory of God the Father, that He is the exact imprint and the exact impression of God the Father and of His nature. And He's saying, if you know Me, you know My Father And look at what Philip's response is. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Philip's saying, I don't believe you. 
You're telling me that if I've seen you, if I know you, if I've come into a relationship with you, that I know the Father, but I don't believe you. If you really show us the Father, like for real, if we could really see the Father, then that would be enough for us. Then we would believe. Then we would act like it was so. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? You still haven't beheld who I really am. You still don't know who I am. He still hasn't comprehended comprehended the true nature of Jesus. He hasn't truly believed. Philip's not acting like it's so. And Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me. Believe me. Can you hear the sincerity in Jesus' voice? The urgency, the cry of His heart. Remember that Jesus is the express image of the Father and everything that He has done, everything that He has said is from the Father. The work of the Father is that we might believe in who He sent. And Jesus is saying, believe Me. The last two weeks we talked about the rejection that Jesus Christ faced. That he put himself out there over and over and over and was rejected over and over and over. And here we see him being rejected by one of those closest to him. And he's imploring him to believe him. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, if you can't believe the truth that I've shared, if you can't believe it from seeing me and walking with me, at least believe it because of the miracles and the works that I've done. Because those are from the Father. They're from His grace and mercy to, to put His stamp of approval on what I've done and who I'm saying I am. So if for nothing else, believe it for the miracles. And then he says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Look at that promise. If you believe in me, if you act if all of what I'm telling you is so if you act like who I am is so, if you believe that I am the glory and the express image of the Father, the One who came to reconcile us to the Father through His life and His death and His resurrection, if you believe in Me, if you act like it's so, then the Father will do the same works and even greater through your witness. As you proclaim the Gospel, He'll put His stamp of approval on it. That won't be enough for everyone. Because beholding Jesus Christ, beholding the Gospel, beholding the truth is merely an invitation to say this is who He is. This is why He came. His work is that you might believe in His Son, that your life might be transformed, that you might go from death to life. That is the work of the Father. But we have to choose on whether or not we're going to believe it or not. And if we believe it, we're going to act like it's so. It's going to change who we are. And we just read a moment ago that for Philip, beholding Jesus, beholding the miracles, beholding who He was, at that point, it wasn't enough yet. Now He's going to come around later, but at that moment, He didn't really believe yet. The next account that we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 9, verse 14-29. through 
This is Jesus. He's coming to a crowd. It says, and when they came to the disciples, into a crowd. It says, and when they came to the disciples, a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him and they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? What's all the commotion? What's going on here? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, you. How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. I want to stop here for just a second, because something happened here. The demon recognized Jesus for who he was. When the demon beheld Jesus, it affected him. He knew without a doubt, this is the Son of God. So demons oftentimes have more belief. It's not saving belief, but they have belief in who they encounter when they encounter God. Verse 21, it says, And Jesus asked His Father, How long has this been happening to Him? And He said, From childhood. And it has often cast Him into the fire and into the water to destroy Him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can... And I think this is, it's in the Bible has an exclamation. I think it's an exclamation question mark. Like, if I can, of course I can. And he says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. The father had actually already taken one step of belief. He brought his son. Had he not thought it was possible that Jesus could heal him and cast this demon out of him, he wouldn't even be there. He wouldn't have brought him to the disciples and then he wouldn't be talking to Jesus here. So there is some belief there. But in this moment, he's very honest. And I pray that I can be that honest and that you all and the body of Christ could be this on our belief that when we're not sure or when our actions aren't lining up with what we say we believe, we could say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm throwing myself at your mercy and your grace that I know you're the truth, but I know that I haven't believed it all for real yet. Help me to believe. And then in verse 25 it says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Never enter him again. There's another passage where Jesus says that when uh, an unclean demon is cast out, that if nothing takes its place, that that demon can go about and get other demons even worse than himself and come back to that person and their final state is worse than the state that they were at the beginning. But not if the space is filled up with something else, with someone else. And Jesus here is saying, you're going to go out and you are never coming back because this boy is going to be changed. He's going to be transformed. He's going to be different forever. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We ask ourselves if we believe the thing that we can ask ourselves if we believe. Jesus said that this kind only comes out by prayer. If we believed that, we would pray. If you can look at your life and say, I never pray, 
you can be pretty sure that you don't believe in the power of prayer. But you might tell people you believe in the power of prayer. You might tell yourself you believe in the power of prayer. But if you believed in the power of prayer, your actions would follow that. You would pray as if it was so. In 1 John 5.14, it says that we can pray in confidence and know that He hears us. If we believe that, we'll pray in confidence and know that He hears us. It's another opportunity. Another opportunity to behold truth and decide, do I really believe it? And if we can say that we do, or at least enough to believe that God is true and what Jesus said was true, then at least pray, Father, I believe, help my unbelief that I might start praying and that I might start believing. The last passage that we're going to look at is in John chapter 20, verse 24. And this account takes place after Jesus had gone to the cross. He died. He's been resurrected. And this is the disciples seeing Him physically after He's come back from the dead, just like He said He would. And when He told them beforehand it was going to happen... But now it's happened. It's for real. And it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him about it. They gave him the testimony. They said, We've seen Jesus. He's alive. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This passage makes me cringe. Here's a disciple that had beheld Jesus, that had walked with Jesus that had heard every teaching he had shared, that had seen the miracles. Jesus, we just read moments ago, if you don't believe me, believe the miracles that the Father's doing through me, that that's a testimony, a, a testament to the fact that what I'm saying is true. And here's one of those disciples that has beheld him the entire way. And he gets to this point, and Jesus has even been resurrected, and he has the testimony for men that he's walked with for years. You know, I believe things sometimes on the testimony of someone I trust. I didn't see it. I wasn't there. But I know you and I trust you. So if you tell me that's true, I'm going to believe you. And he's got ten other guys. There's one missing because Judas isn't around anymore. Ten other guys telling him, it's real. We saw him. And he says, unless... I see him with my own eyes physically. And unless I see the nails in his hands, unless I, or the marks in his hands and the marks in his sides, and even that's not going to be enough. I need to put my fingers in those holes and in his side, and then I'll believe. But if that doesn't happen, I'll never believe. That was the state of, of Thomas and he has a nice nickname that's followed him forever since that. Doubting Thomas. How would you like that to be your nickname? Doubting Thomas. I won't believe unless I see it myself and touch him myself. In verse 26 it says, Eight days later his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Notice nobody tells him the story. Thomas doesn't speak. Jesus knows what's happened. He knows Thomas's heart. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You hear Jesus speaking the same way that we just read with the same passion, the same uh, encouragement, the same invitation that He was speaking to Philip earlier. Believe Me. Believe Me that it's true. Start acting like if it's so. 
And then Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. How gracious, how merciful that Jesus was. He could have just said, forget Thomas. <laughs> if that's what it's going to take for him to believe, it's not worth it. He saw so much. He experienced so much. He beheld me more than most ever will get a chance to, and it's not enough. But out of His grace and His mercy, He came and showed him. But then he says, but blessed are those that will believe that don't get this opportunity. And I almost get the sense of there's a... I don't know, maybe that's just me. (laughs) My sarcasm. I would be like, good for you, Thomas. When he says, my God, my Lord, you know, I get it now, I believe it. Well, great. I'm thrilled that now you finally get it. You know, I'm overwhelmed by emotion from, from your belief. But Jesus doesn't do that. He still accepts him. He still receives him. He still gave him that opportunity. And that's the love of our Father. That's the love of Jesus Christ. That's been the work of God from before time and before our time and now during our time and from our time till the end. The work of the Father is going to be proclaiming Jesus Christ that you might believe that it might transform your entire life to go to the core of who we are, to our soul, that we might be more and more like Christ, being sanctified and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that comes shortly after. We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about following Him. But Jesus said, it's better for you that I go because we're going to the Holy Spirit and He's going to endow you with power. And He's going to proclaim the truth that I've told you. And He's going to reveal all truth to you. If you believe. If you act like it's so. If you act... And we don't get the opportunity that Thomas did. We don't get to put our fingers in the hands or in His side. But Jesus said, you are blessed because you believe and haven't had the same opportunity that Thomas did. You believe by the proclaiming of the Gospel, by the proclaiming of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And He calls us to take that proclamation out to the world. And then He says, then God the Father will even do greater works than He did through me, through you, because He's going to put His stamp of approval on your testimony to say that word is true. But we know that that's still not going to be enough for many people if it wasn't for some of the disciples until the Holy Spirit came. And if it wasn't enough for the people that encountered Jesus in person, it's not going to be enough for the world. But our calling is not to decide who is and isn't. It's to proclaim the truth and give them the opportunity to behold Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and decide for themselves if they're going to believe. And this morning, each of us to make that decision. Do we believe? Do we act like it's so? Do we pray like God hears us? And if we don't, we can cry out and fall upon His grace and mercy and say, Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. And know that He's gracious and merciful enough to hear us and the Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might receive Him and give us the power to really believe and really have our lives transformed. I want to close with an encouragement. I want you to take time this week to ask yourself, what do I really believe? What would my friends, what would my co-workers, what would my kids, what would the people that I encounter say I believe? Not by what I say, but what I do. Would they say that my actions line up with what I say I believe? And ask yourself, what do I really believe? I've been doing this myself for a few weeks. It's not fun. 
It's very convicting. I'm coming across a lot of things. I'm like, God, forgive me. I can't believe in this area what I know is true and what I say is true because if I did, my actions would be different than they are. Take this area of my life like you've taken this and this one and this one and transformed it and transformed this one too that I can say I believe but help my unbelief because I know you are right about everything. Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. God knows everything about everything. He knows more about science than any man will ever understand. He knows more about uh, agriculture and politics. And in whatever field you find yourself in, He knows more than any man will ever discover. But if we believe that, we would go to Him for answers. Because He loves us and cares about us and cares about all of those things. So ask yourself those questions. And I want to encourage you to think about it, to pray about it, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you. And I want to encourage you to go to a quiet place, to be quiet yourself and listen. And then I want to ask you to do something crazy, ridiculous, outlandish. Turn off your phone. Turn off your computer. Turn off your TV. When you're in the car, turn off the radio. Listen to God. And ask Him these questions. And say, Father, show me what I really believe. Because I want to line up with who You are. The true express image of Jesus Christ that showed us the Father. The truth. That's what I want to believe. And anywhere my belief is off of that, show me. And He will do it. He's faithful. And we'll find that our actions will start to change. And we'll start acting like if what we say we believe is true. It's the only way. Jesus said, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. And no one is going to come to the Father except through Me. But if we believe that, we're going to go to Him. And if you can look at your life and find out that you're never going to Him, you don't believe it. I don't believe it if I don't do that myself. One of the things that I've been most convicted about as I've read through, I think I've got a few chapters left to go through all the Gospels in this series because I've just wanted to see who, who's Jesus. Show me Jesus, Father. Straight from Your Word. And what I saw and what, I, what He's shown me from, the, from later in the New Testament, Acts, and as the Apostles started living with the power of the Holy Spirit, these men who didn't believe, who didn't get it, after they were endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit, they were so full of God and so full of Jesus Christ, and they acted so much like they believed it that over and over and over in the New Testament, you see them saying, follow Jesus, or follow me like I follow Jesus. And the convicting thing for me, and I share this with our elders, I couldn't say that right now. Not with a clear conscience. But I want to follow Christ to the point where with a clear conscience I could tell everyone I encounter, follow me like I'm following Jesus and you're going to get to Him because He's so living in me and He is the express image of the Father. And if you follow me, you're following Him and you're seeing the Father just like they saw the Father through Jesus. That's what He said, that He would fill us and be with us and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we could do that. And it's not blasphemy to say that because all the apostles said that after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Follow me like I'm following Him. And we'll do it if we believe Him. Will you bow your heads and close with me in prayer? Dear Holy Father, I just thank You. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Right now, Father, I ask that Your Holy Spirit 
would put his stamp of approval on your gospel, on your good news. Lord, in the hearts and minds of everyone here, in the hearts and minds of mind of myself, Lord, that we would behold who Jesus Christ really is, His true nature, His true divinity, His fully human nature, and that He gave us a perfect example, a perfect picture, the image of God the Father that we might leave, and that it's the work that You've been doing from before time and in our day to day, and You will continue till the end, Father. Let us believe and help our unbelief. Father, I want to follow you so well that I can tell others to follow me. Let that be the body of Christ in our world today. A body that knows you, hears you, and responds to you, and follows you, and loves you, and acts like it's so. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Endow us with that power. Transform us. Take us from death to life. Transform our core beliefs, Lord. Because only you can do it. I trust you. You're my hope. You're all we have. We don't have anywhere else to go. pray with you this morning. study a subject and give us a nice sermon. Pastor Chris doesn't tell the worship team what he's going to be preaching on and the songs they ought to pick. We all believe that if we're obedient and do what God calls us to do, it's going to be what's best for this body, what's best for this community, because God himself knows what we need. Uh, Rick and Martha Messenger that attend here, if you don't know who they are, uh, Rick is the, the bearded baritone that sings up here. Uh, some of you might know him as Santa Claus in his off dime. He didn't know what the message was going to be on, but he handed in a, a thank you letter that I want to read to y'all. It's a testimony about how good God is. And if we walk out what we believe, what God's able to do in our lives. Some of you may not know his wife, Martha, was diagnosed with cancer some time ago. And they spent a lot of time praying and seeking counsel from doctors, other people, brothers and sisters here at the church. And God told them what they needed to do. The doctors gave them many courses of therapy and treatments that they could have had. And they went back and said, we've been praying and this is what we're going to do. Even, even kind of to the dismay of some of the doctors, they did exactly what God told them to do. 
Rick handed this letter this morning. It said, giving God the glory after months of prayer, doctor's appointments, surgery, and healing that's still going on. Martha and I are pleased to announce that she is completely cancer-free. Praise God. Amen. Later in the letter, and this is, this is amazing. This is how good God is. Last but certainly not least, we want to give thanks to God for each of you and for all your prayers that were being nonstop lifted up to heaven on our behalf. Prayers that we both fully believe played a large part in our quick and complete healing, making me the proud husband of a recent breast cancer survivor. Thank you each and every one for your love and your support. Rick and Martha sought God. God told them what they needed to do. They believed it enough that they acted on it. That's what belief is when we step out into it as if it's so. What an amazing God to give us a testimony to go along with the, with the message that Chris had. I have a few announcements for you if you don't mind. Uh, October 14th, this Wednesday, our marriage group's going to meet for our monthly meeting. It's a potluck. If you haven't been there before, just come. If you've already been once or twice, you know what we're doing and do your part. It's going to be great. 6.30 over at Common Grounds. October 16th, we usually would have uh, coffee at Common Grounds that morning. It's going to be closed just for this Friday, the 16th. It'll be open after that. Luther's getting ready for October 24th, the men's skeet shoot. Outside, there's a sign-up sheet and some direct, little cards with directions about how to get out uh, to the Hensley Ranch. There's going to be a men's skeet shoot that will benefit Young Life and the youth group here at New Covenant. It's always a good time. Y'all need to make yourselves available for that. And uh, if you would help us right after service is over, pick up the chairs on both sides of the auditorium. If you've done it before, help those who haven't. Let me pray and we'll get out of here. Father God, thank you that you are the head of this church. Lord, you speak to us, you guide us, you give us good direction. And Lord, you are worth it. Father God, you know what's best for us and we want to believe it so we step out into it. This week as we pray seeking you, Father God, give us clear direction. And Lord, most of all, we ask you send your Holy Spirit to give us the strength to step in the direction that you called us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 